I was 21 years old. I was a year out of college, and I had a panic attack on the floor of my room because I realized that I was $36,000 in consumer credit card debt. I don't think I'll ever be able to accurately describe the amount of anxiety that I felt that day. Over the next few years, I had to dig myself out of a financial hole that I got myself into. The shame and the embarrassment that was associated with that for me was one of the most challenging things I've ever had to go through in my life. Now picture this. Okay, this scenario is not me, but I want you just to imagine for a moment. You are married to your spouse for let's say 25 or 30 years, your spouse is the breadwinner, you've been raising the kids, and suddenly tragedy strikes and your spouse passes away. But here's the thing, you know nothing about the family finances. Your spouse has been doing it all. And suddenly you feel lost, alone, and afraid. Not only have you lost the love of your life, but you have no idea how you're going to be able to manage everything by yourself because you've been in the dark for so long. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an amazing person who's trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. On today's episode, I have Bola Sukunbi. She is the founder of Clever Girl Finance, and her story and her upbringing is going to absolutely blow you away. She is impacting women all over the world with her financial tips and tricks, and I know you are going to absolutely adore her. Also, she is the host of her own podcast called The Clever Girls Know Podcast, and you can find it on iTunes and wherever you listen to podcasts. I was actually a guest on her show last week, so if you want to hear more of my financial story, you can go check that out. Now, I hope you enjoyed this chat with Bola. Hey, Bola. Welcome to the show. Hey, Molly. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. I am so excited to have you on. And I'm I'm excited for a lot of reasons. But, uh, you know, when I when I found you online, I guess I don't even remember when. Um, and I, I've said this before <laughs> on the show. And sometimes I feel like this is just kind of how it happens with the Internet. It's like you end up in that rabbit hole of the Internet. And somehow you come across somebody. And you, you come across <laughs> their profile. And you're like, oh, I love that person. Then you follow them. And that's kind of how it was with you. And, um, you know, you so with Clever Girl Finance, you even have a podcast. We're going to get into all of that. Um, But there's just so much that I connect with you on, especially when you're you're talking about finance and talking about women and 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 money, because let's be honest, this is something that does not get talked about a lot. Yeah, not enough. And I'm I'm so glad you found me. I'm so excited to connect with you and just talk money and get to know you and become new friends. I love it. I love it. Well, to kick off, I want you to do what all of my guests do, and that's give us the BOLA 101. So tell us your story. Tell us kind of your whole background and all the things that have led you to where you are today. Oh, okay. Um, you can just cut me off whenever you think I'm rambling on. Oh, no, this is great. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> but so where do I begin? I guess I'll start with just from when I was a child. So growing up, my my father was the primary breadwinner in our family. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She got married young at 19, and she had four kids. And as she started to get older, you know, raise her children, she started to see things with her friends that she just wasn't entirely comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So things like, uh, unfortunately, a spouse would pass away and her friend would not know anything about the family finances Mm -hmm. or where the money was, or their spouse's family would come in and try to take over everything, or a friend of you know, friends of hers would get divorced and because they didn't, they weren't, they were, they were stay at home moms or because they weren't working and they weren't involved in the family finances, they would be stuck in a bad situation. And there were many times growing up where my mom would have friends staying with us because they had nowhere else to go. Mm. And she just didn't want to find herself in that situation. So she took it upon herself to go to college because she started having kids before, you know, she wanted to go to college. And so she decided to go to college. And once she was done, she had a degree. She started getting into all kinds of different businesses from 
being a drinks distributor to having her own hair salon to being a principal at a school. She was just basically doing all kinds of hustles. And her goal was for her to be able to stand on her own two feet. And it wasn't that my father wasn't able to provide for the family, um, but she just wanted to be a backup plan. She wanted to be a backup plan in the event that something happened or God forbid if my parents got divorced, which they are still happily married um, almost 45 years later. But um, she just wanted to have her own plan. And lo and behold, my dad had to retire early. He had to retire about 15 years earlier than he had planned because of health issues. Um, And so my mom had to step in. And at that point, my father had sent my three older brother, brothers to college abroad. So I'm originally from Nigeria, and he had sent my, my brothers to college abroad in England. And when it was my turn to go to college, he's like, listen, um, given the state of you know our family finances right now, we're, we're fine, but I can't pay international tuition for you to go to college abroad. And at that point, my mom stepped in and she was like, you know what? I'm going to take care of this. I've been saving money. I put money aside and I'm going to be able to send Bola to college. And my mom took it upon herself and she sent me to college in three different countries. Wow. And she paid for it in cash. She paid for wow. my tuition, my books, my rent. And it was a gift that I was, I am forever grateful for that gift. I don't ever take it for granted because I know what it means for I've seen what it means for someone to have, you know, a ton of student loans or to graduate from college with a ton of debt. And that's something I'm so appreciative of, you know, as a gift that my mother gave me. Um, And she didn't have to do that for me at all. (laughs) So fast forward, um, you know, a few years, I graduated from college and started making my own money. You know, I was an independent woman. I was rich even though I was only making like 40K after taxes. But (laughs) I know when you're when you first graduate college, you get that first real paycheck. You're like, yes, I'm rolling. Exactly. But because of what I had seen going on with, you know, my mom's friends, I got to see that firsthand because I was there. I I just have this horrible fear of, you know, I I don't ever want to be broke. I don't ever want to be in a situation where I don't have choices with my money. And so right after college, I took it upon myself to learn more about how finances worked, personal finances worked in America. And I got a book that completely changed my life, which is uh, it's called Smart Smart Women Finish Rich by David Bach. Yes, I've read that book. It's a great book. (laughs) Book is incredible. And back then for me, it was an incredible book. I read it to shreds, literally to shreds. It was like falling apart in my fingers and I had to buy a new copy. And I took everything everything that I learned from that book and three years, a little over three years after I graduated from college, I saved over a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. And that was my first step into personal finance, you know, managing my own money and seeing that having money gives you choices. And even if I had had student loans, I think just given the state of mind I was in, given the fact that I had learned all this stuff from that book, I would have put it upon myself to pay off those loans at that time too. So that's pretty much my beginnings with <laughs> with money in a mouthful um, wow. and kind of my background of why I'm sort of interested in personal finance. Not sort of, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, so, yeah, you're not sort of interested. That's what you do for a living. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So those are that's my, those are my beginnings. And so and I want to obviously I have a lot of questions about the beginnings. Um, but so tell people for for those that don't know, tell everybody what you do today. Um, tell us all about Clever Girl Finance, what the what the mission and hope of it is, and also about your podcast. Okay, yes, I will. So Clever Girl Finance is something that I started two years ago. And about a year before, a year and a half before Clever Girl Finance started, I was in this space where I had just had my twin babies. I was commuting um, to New York City. I, I liked my job a lot. I loved my career, actually. I loved my job. But I, I started getting this sense of being unfulfilled. I felt like I wanted to be doing something that mattered more or that made more of a difference that helped more people. And so I was trying to figure out what I could do, you know, and what I could do that would also allow me to spend more time with my ch- my kids who were babies at the time. And everything, everything I brainstormed around brought me back to money because money is something I, I like. Yeah. <laughs> we all do. I think. We all do. We all love, like, we all like money. <laughs> and it just, it just seemed you know, like 
it seemed natural to want to pursue helping women build wealth, especially given what I had seen. And also, as I started to get older, I started to see a lot of what was going on with my mom's friends happening with people that I that I knew. I had friends who were going through divorces. I had friends who had to leave high income jobs to become stay at home moms um, or to move to different cities or countries, you know, with their different others and just not being that involved with their finances. And I was like, this has to change. I have to do something, you know, anything within my power um, to help make a difference. And this is something that I love, something I'm passionate about. And that's really where Clever Girl Finance was birthed from. And it is a financial empowerment platform uh, to empower women to make the right choices around their money. It's all about helping women understand that money doesn't have to be complicated. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be difficult. doesn't have to be hard. It's all about adjusting your mindset and putting in the hard work and committing yourself to wanting to do better and to, and to understanding that that financial success, that dream life that you imagine is actually attainable if you can just commit and you need to be you need to have the education and you need to have the knowledge behind behind it all so that you can make smarter decisions around your money so that's really what clever girl finance is um i am a fin- i am a certified financial educator i'm also a money expert and i am a social media influencer so it's been a great ride i love what i do and yeah and i do have the podcast it's called the clever girls no podcast it's on itunes soundcloud stitcher and it's just me talking you know about different money topics sometimes i have friends or special guests on and it's just having a conversation with girlfriends about money and like I said my goal is to make money approachable relatable comfortable no shame no judgment and that's what I try to convey with the Clever Girl Finance brand man Bola this there's so much here that I just oh I just I love you you're just so awesome (laughs) so I mean I want to go back a little bit because like I said there's oh my gosh there's so many questions I want to ask um but so you I mean one of the things you 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 mentioned it briefly but in case you were for the listeners if in case you missed it um one very key thing about you know you were talking about how you grew up is you grew up in Nigeria and so um, when did you move? And so did you move to the U.S. after you graduated college or had you been to the U.S. prior to that? So it's a little more complex than that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was actually born in Austria. Oh, OK. And then I went back to Nigeria to finish grade school in high school. And then I went to an American college in Austria. And then I came to the United States for my last year in college. So I had talked about my mom sending me to college in three different countries. I went to college in Austria, in England, and then in the U.S. And then I stayed. Wow. That is like, yeah, you really are like a world traveler. (laughs) (laughs) So what years were you actually growing up in Nigeria? Because you said you were born in Austria, but went back to Nigeria for grade school. Yeah, so my grade school and high school years were in Nigeria. And my family lives there, you know, so I'm I'm there pretty often. It's like, that's basically my my first home. But since I live here, it's my second home. Yeah. That kind of makes sense. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's just one of the things. So, you know, obviously money is so different in different cultures. Um, and so I just I'm always interested to hear and and talk about these types of things with people who have been in other cultures, grown up in other cultures, who are of other cultures, because I think it's so interesting to see what are the common things, what are the common threads, and then what are the things that are a little bit different? Um, you know, and kind of it's obviously spans all cultures, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, most of the time the father is the breadwinner and then the mother, you know, a lot of times will stay home and, or work, but in general is the one kind of taking care of the kids. And, you know, like you were telling those stories of your mom would see spouses, you know, friends, spouses pass away and the mom knows nothing about money. And, um, you know, I think this is one of those things that is such a common thread in all cultures and even here. And this is something I've actually been talking about a lot with my friends and something about a year and a half ago, my husband and I sat down, you know, we were about to have our second child at the time. And, you know, I think it was maybe a month before my due date. And we sat down and I said, you know, I I will be honest. I mean, because my husband, he's a financial advisor. That's what he does for a living. And so he, Mm -hmm. he pretty much runs the finances in our house. Obviously, we make a decision on the budget everything is you know it's definitely all of ours but as far as like you know the paying bills and the investing and all that kind of stuff like he he takes care of it because he's a financial advisor (laughs) and I'm a creative and numbers hurt my head um but you know we sat down and I said you know what if in the proverbial like you get hit by a bus scenario tomorrow 
I wouldn't know even where our accounts are. I wouldn't even know, you know, where our money is. I, I mean, I know where I know. Obviously, I have access to our like regular bank accounts. But as far as like mm-hmm. retirement, our IRAs, our mutual funds, like any type of, you know, that stuff, you know, as far as like even where you pay bills, like <laughs> obviously I know <laughs> what, what our bills are, but it's just one of those things like sometimes we take for granted. And so we sat down and we created a whole binder where we talked about all those things and we talked about where our accounts are and, um, you know, if something were to happen to make sure I knew how to get access to them and, you know, everything from our life insurance policies and all that kind of stuff. And it's so interesting how this is something that I think a lot of people and a lot of couples don't do and we, they don't have those conversations and then they find themselves in a in a just tragic scenario where you know maybe the husband has died or maybe the or maybe the wife is the breadwinner and the wife is the one that mm-hmm. runs all the finances and the wife dies and then the same thing the husband doesn't know you know so over the years you know we obviously you learned an amazing and incredibly valuable lesson lessons about money from your parents. Um, what has been something that you have tried to implement in your own life and when you're talking with clients and everything like that about just how do you open up those lines of communication? How do you just get women asking the right questions to make sure that they're 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 being smart and savvy? You know what I mean? Everything you said is exactly true. There's so much complexity around women and money and how mm-hmm. we relate to money. And men have their own complexities around their relationships with money. But for us specifically as women, there's, I don't know, it's it's different, you know. And I think that it's, if, if a woman is in a space where she doesn't know anything about her family finances or she feels like she's kind of in the dark, it's not necessarily her, her fault um, because that's just, way, just, that's just the way the system seems to be designed in a sense. And I'll explain what I mean by that. But it's about wanting to make the effort to know. Like you have to make the effort to know. You can't blame anybody else because at the end of the day, it's all on you, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to answer your question, but let's kind of get into the some of the things that women have going against them or working against them um, when it comes to them and their finances. Mm-hmm. Um, so for one thing, we earn less than men on average, mm-hmm. right? We earn about 20% less. When you break it down by demographics, it's, you know, for some, some demographic, it's even less. Mm-hmm. Um, we take time off of work to have kids, maternity leave, um, and our, our jobs will tell us that, no, it's not going to affect your performance, but you're not there for three, four months of a year mm-hmm. when you have a baby and whether they tell you or not, that's three or four months where you're not there to produce. So it can affect you long term, especially when they're trying to look at, you know, your peers for who to promote and things like that. I personally took off four months from work um, when I had my kids. I took my paid vacation and an, a, mo- a month of unpaid vacation. So that was automatically lost income. Yeah. Um, and some of us get the chance to go back to work, but there's a lot of women that don't go back to work because the cost of childcare is so high. Mm-hmm. And so they give up their dream, they give up their careers to become stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home moms. And there is a loss of income there. By nature, as women, we are givers. We and that's just who we are. That's how we're designed. And we give so much of ourselves. And that giving is very much tied to emotion. We give to our children, our, our children, our spouses. We give to friends, family, parents. We give, give, give to everyone. You know, we try to hold it all together. Mm-hmm. And we think of ourselves last. So that's one thing that impacts our finances. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that the financial services industry is designed by men for men. You know, I find that a lot of big financial industry business, when they create products for women, they create a product and slap some pink on it. And they're like, yeah, finance for women. Here it is. <laughs> yes. <You know? laughs> yes. It drives me crazy. If you look at how finances are talked about on TV, just spend 30 minutes watching like one of the financial news channels mm-hmm. you're going to hear them hear them use all kinds of sports terms all kinds of male animals <laughs> <laughs> you know so yes. it's, it's not very relatable to us and there are studies that show there are studies that have been done that show that women are not comfortable in that space because when they for the most part when they go into you know to get financial help they're talking to another to a man who's looking down on them who's and he may not be intentionally looking down at them but they just get that feeling. And then the last thing is that we we hold on to a lot of shame. 
So mm-hmm. women will, t- if we're with our girlfriends, we talk about everything, our, you know, hair, dresses, cooking, Pinterest, reality shows, but we won't talk about money. Yes. But if you put five guys in a room, you know, they talk about business, cars, women, money, business, cars, women, money, yeah. electronics, money. And so all that stuff, you know, and holding on to that shame, all that stuff, those are things that are kind of working against us when it comes to how we relate to our money and us not wanting to have to deal with having to pay attention to this complex, you know, seemingly difficult topic. And so when I, you know, the way I connect with women is I focus very much on the no shame, no judgment. And I also focus on mindset, mindset adjustments, because I feel like everything you do in your life and not just around your money starts in your head. You have to want to accomplish something first or you're not going to do it. And you wanting to accomplish something also stems from having a why. You have to have a reason for wanting to to build wealth, to pay off your debt, to save money. There has to be something driving you. Otherwise, you're not going to stay on it. And that's my approach. I I come from a no shame, no judgment aspect. And I tell them, let's talk about, before we talk about your goals of paying off your debt, of saving a million dollars, all these amazing things that you want to do, which you can totally do, you have to first clearly define what is your why? What is that thing that's going to keep you going? What's that thing that motivates you? And everybody is, um, they have their own different why. There are different, you know, different motivations for wanting to get your finances in order. And we all have them. Sometimes it just takes pulling the covers over your head, shutting your blind, turning off your sh- shutting your blinds, turning off your phone and just sitting with yourself and getting into your head and your heart and figuring out what it is. So for me, like I mentioned at the beginning, my why is my fear of being broke. I'm terrified because I got to see with my own two eyes husbands throwing their wives things out of the house onto mm-hmm. the street. Some of my mom's friends, I got to see mothers with kids in our house because they had nowhere else to go and told myself this is never going to be me Mm. you know my second why is my kids now I have children I feel like I feel I have an overwhelming responsibility to set lay a good foundation for them to educate them which was a gift my mom gave me and to set to be a role model and show them it's not about what society is doing. It's about what you want for your life and focusing on what it is that you want to accomplish. So that's, in a nutshell, the answer to your question. I know you are loving this conversation with Bola. Let's just take a quick break from talking with her and let me tell you about the awesome company that is helping to make this show possible today. Our sponsor this week is Globin. Globin is the only fair trade verified subscription box company that empowers artisans around the world through job creation and fair wages. Globin's best-selling artisan boxes are filled with gorgeously curated selections of handmade and ethically produced home goods, beauty finds, and wearable accessories. Each artisan box has gorgeous and unique pieces like hand-painted ceramics from Morocco, hand-blown glassware from Mexico, or handmade jewelry from India. I just got some new home decor for my kitchen from Globin, and y'all, each piece is gorgeous. I got the Berber Bowl, which is a stunning hand-painted eight-inch ceramic bowl that's handmade in Morocco. The contrasting colors are so beautiful, and I've currently got it sitting on our kitchen table filled with some fresh fruit so my daughter can easily grab some. And my new favorite piece is this ceramic cylinder vase that has this hand-painted floral design in a vivid indigo color with turquoise accents. It's handmade by artisans in rural areas of India that are provided economic and leadership opportunities. My husband got me some roses last week. So romantic, I know. And I put them in the vase and it looks so beautiful. By the way, in case you didn't know, we are approaching the holiday season and Globin also offers corporate gifts. Think about how much more meaningful your holiday gifts to your employees, clients, or even your coworkers would be with a Globin artisan box. Now you can use the coupon code MOLLY for $10 off any artisan premium subscription box. Visit globin.com slash box for more details. That's globin, G-L-O-B-E-I-N dot com slash box with the coupon code MOLLY for $10 off. And if you haven't heard my podcast interview with Liza Moiseva, the founder of Globin, you can go back and check out episode 25 to learn more about this amazing company. Now back to the show and my conversation with Bola. You know, one of the things that I, in addition to just, I feel like there's so much that you... Your Instagram, if y'all go find her on Instagram right now, just like 
click over to Instagram. She's at Clever Girl Finance. Some of the things that you post, the inspirational money quotes and just statements that you share just like a lot of times I just want to just give you an internet like standing <laughs> ovation. But I guess, you know, for me, I just want to share with you and, and for those of you that are listening, if you have followed my blog for a long time, then you will know some of this. Um, if you're a new listener to the show and you don't know me from um, Adam or Eve, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> then you won't know this. Um, but in short, uh, and this is the very, very short condensed version, um, my the first year out of college, I was um, I had no student loan debt when I graduated college, but through a series of extreme um, extreme financial mistakes and a, a lot of financial mistakes in college. And my first year after college, I was um, one year after college teaching high school, and I was thirty six thousand dollars in credit card debt, and I only made thirty thousand dollars as a teacher, and. Um, I had a, like a full on panic attack. I had a full on panic attack in my room, in my house. Um, when I realized that my debt was more than I made in a year and that I couldn't pay the minimum payments anymore. I was late all the time. I, and I had to call my bank and ask them for another, you know, another basically begging for forgiveness and hoping that they would waive my fees because I'd overdrafted my account again, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And it was a very, very dark, dark time for me because I, like you said, like women, women don't want to talk about money. So, and I was so ashamed of all the things that I had done to get myself in that position. And it's one of those things, like even to this day, and this is, you know, just about, I mean, I'm a little over 10 years out from when I started the the journey, because um, this was June of 2008 when I had the the like breakdown, you know, even 10 years later, there's still parts of the story I've ne- I've told maybe two people. And I still carry a lot of that shame and regret, even though I paid all the debt off, I eventually became debt free. And that's kind of a big part of my story is I but but I walked through the majority of that alone, because I didn't want to tell my roommate, I didn't want to tell my family, I didn't want to tell my friends, I didn't, I was so embarrassed, and I was so ashamed. And I still say to this day, I'm like, I, you know, nobody else got me in debt, I got myself in debt. I like, I didn't blame anybody else. I didn't blame the government. I didn't blame, you know, global warming. I didn't blame anything. (laughs) I blame myself because I made bad choices. And I got myself there because I was young and naive and ignorant. And that's just, that's the truth of the matter. And and so when I got to that point, when I had that breakdown and I realized I had to fix it, I, you know, from in the beginning, my why, like, you know, you talk about the why and my why has obviously changed a lot over the years. But in the beginning, my why was I had to fix the mess I created. And that mm-hmm. was my why. And like nothing else, because I could only see what was right in front of me. And that was I couldn't pay my bills. I didn't have enough money to eat. You know what I mean? Like, and so I had to fix my own mess. And I, cause I grew up in a house where it was, you take responsibility for your actions, you know, <laughs> in a loving way. But you know, my parents were never about excuses. They were just Stay like, well, here. right. Yeah. Like you make the mistake, you fix it. You figure it out. You figure it out. You figure it out. And so that was what I did. And so anyway, so eventually, um, I event, I paid off the debt, um, in February, of 2012, basically right when my husband and I got married. Yeah, which was awesome. And my husband and I are still, we're debt free, except for our mortgage. Um, you know, but, and so this is something that I started sharing on my blog. And it took me actually about six months after we became debt free, or I became debt free. My husband was always debt free. He was like, you know, he's good with money. <laughs> and, um, and I shared this post on my blog and I shared how I became debt free. But I was, and it's funny when I think about it, like it took me six years or six months to publicly say I was debt free because I was still embarrassed and ashamed of the fact that I had gotten into debt in the first place. And it was amazing when I wrote that post. I mean, that post is five years old at this point. When I wrote that post, the number of emails and messages and, and, just words of encouragement and people coming out of the woodwork saying, thank you for sharing that because I'm in the same situation or I've had a similar situation and it woke me up. And so I started writing a personal finance series on my blog, just kind of just sharing, you know, what I'd been through and just some little tips and not nothing as nearly as amazing as what you do, but just kind of just sharing from my heart because I realized in that moment, 
why don't we talk about this stuff? This is mm-hmm. this is stuff that cripples marriages. This is yeah. the kind of stuff that cripples relationships and cripple. I mean, people people, I mean, ruin themselves over this kind of stuff. And so why aren't we, you know, especially in a day and age where we're talking about mental health and we're talking about taking care of our physical health, why aren't we talking about our financial health? Because that, oh my gosh, the amount of effect it has on other people. So anyway, I share part of that story just to kind of give you some encouragement as to why I connect with you so much because so much of what you said, like you even posted a couple weeks ago, um, an, a, a quote that said, don't get stuck judging yourself for your past financial mistakes. Yes. <laughs> and still, like I said, almost 10 years later, there's still parts of my story that I'm working through and that I have to forgive myself for. And it's, you know, everybody else has forgiven me. <laughs> I mean, not that I did anything to them because I didn't do anything. It's their money. <laughs> right. Like they didn't do it. It's not like I like took any money from anybody, but it, I mean, it was mistakes I made. But it's like I... I think I do a lot of the what if. Well, what if I'd done this differently? What if I'd done that differently? Would we be in a different financial position today if I had done this differently? But then I go back and forth. I'm like, well, you know, if I had done all those things differently, then I probably would not be living in North Carolina. I would never have met my husband, you know? So I think it's just, anyway, I realize I'm rambling and I'm (laughs) interviewing you. No, you're not. (laughs) But it's one Yeah, yeah, go ahead. an incredible story. It is. It's an incredible story. And the what ifs, you know, they're normal. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to ask yourself what if about everything that you feel was a mistake in your life that you've ever done. I ask myself what if about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But what we have to realize is that the way life is designed by God, by the universe, is that you have to learn. Yes. And the only way you can learn is by stumbling and by falling. Mm-hmm. And you can't avoid it. Um, you're going to make mistakes at some point. It's just unavoidable. It's, you know, with money, with relationships, with the career, it is, there is nobody in this world that has had a perfect path with their finances or in their life. And those mistakes are inevitable. Mm-hmm. And so what's most important is understanding that, yes, you're going to fail and you want to embrace that failure, but then you can't stay stuck in that space. You mm-hmm. have to mm-hmm. figure out what is the silver lining around this failure? What is the lesson? And how can I take that lesson and and apply it to my future so that I don't make this mistake again, so that I know what not to do, right? Right. And once you open your mind about failure and don't, as opposed to looking at it as a shameful thing and instead look at it as a teacher and as a stepping stone to your next level of greatness, then it changes the game. Um, So many women, and this is, again, it's, it's our emotional side. It is just how we're designed inside. We hold on to this shame about different things, about failed relationships, about not being married, about, you know, not having kids, about having too many kids. It's like there's shame about every single thing. Everything. you can't let it hold you back. You yeah. you just, you have to, again, once you go back and you really remember what your why is, you're going to, you're not going to care. Right. Because you're going to be so focused on getting to where you need to go. And so look at you, for instance, despite your shame, despite feeling ashamed, you didn't let that keep you in a corner with all that debt still in your life. You still focus on paying it off. Mm-hmm. So the what if feeling is normal, but it's all about, okay, now you know this is a situation what are you going to do? Are you going to bury yourself in the sand? Are you going to find a way to get out of the rough waters and get on your amazing yacht (laughs) to take you where you want to go? Right. Oh, completely. And I love that you are also very, um, you're very transparent and open about, you know, even as money savvy as you are, you know, you, you have even shared on your site and on your blog that you made some mistakes as well. And I think that that's something (laughs) I know I like, I, especially like that, that college credit card, man, that 25% interest rate. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh boy. They don't tell you about that when they have hand you that free t-shirt. No, they don't. Even after my mother had told me, (laughs) do not get that credit card. (laughs) Even after my father had told me credit is not your friend because I, you know, growing up in Nigeria and even living in Europe with a Nigerian family, we don't at the, you know, we didn't, I didn't come from a credit background. Mm-hmm. Um, Nigeria was very much a cash based society. Mm-hmm. So if you had money, you got it. If you didn't have any money, you can get it. And that is for everything, building houses, buying cars, 
vacations, everything. You had to have cash. So this credit thing was something that my parents were like, why do you need that? Why do you need to? My mom was like, who do you need to borrow money from? What's happening in your life? <laughs> your, mo- your mom sounds like somebody I want to hang out with. <laughs> what exactly is happening in your life that you need to borrow money? She used to say that to all the time. And so I didn't listen. I got the credit card. I maxed it out. And I was like, when I got the, fr- I can never forget the feeling. I was in my college apartment that my mom was paying for. And I got that bill and I was like, oh my God, I'm, I should just die right now because if she finds out, I'm just, I'm ruined. But I had to tell her because I had no money to pay mm-hmm. um, and she made me pay it. And so, yeah, that's just one of several mistakes I've made. And it's normal because I've learned, I learned so much from that experience. You know, I learned so much from every money mistake I've ever made and it's gotten me here and it's gotten me to, gotten me to this point where I'm able to help other women. Yes. And you also, by the way, I just have to do a quick aside because one of the things that I I read that and I read this post on your blog is how at one point you had an epic designer handbag collection. (laughs) We can talk about that. (laughs) I know. Well, it's funny because when people ask me, you know, they're like, well, that $36,000, like what kind of debt was it? And I was like, well, there's no such thing as good debt. But it was all I mean, it was all credit card debt. And and people would ask me like, well, what was one of like, what were some of the things that you spent money on? And I'm like, I mean, what did I not spend money on? I think is the thing. And, um, and I can get into more of that at another time. But I mean, when the people say like, what was the most probably like, really ridiculous thing you did? And I'm like, all right, now again, this is me just being very vulnerable and very <laughs> transparent right now. I was 21 years old. I was a senior in college. And I over my winter break, I went on a trip to New York City for um, I was taking some um, comedy classes in New York City and I had a free afternoon and I'd always had a dream of going to Fifth Avenue and just like going shopping and so I walked in to a Fendi the Fendi store (laughs) on Fifth Avenue and bought with a credit card a nearly three thousand dollar purse it is ridiculous. I realize that, like, and I look back, but at the time, like, I was like, I'm 21. I'm like, it's fine. I have a credit card and I'll buy this $3,000 bag. I no longer own the bag. I eventually sold it because I realized <laughs> to pay off the debt that I got myself into. But, you know, when I look back, like, you know, so, and I know that you can relate to that. You can probably Absolutely. relate to that. I, you know, I had a lot of designer handbags. I had gotten to the point where I was, I had saved a lot of money. I was making a lot of money and I was like, I have money now, you know, I have money in the bank. I have six figures in savings. I deserve <laughs> stuff. And I went from being an aggressive saver to cutting my savings almost in half. Mm. And I started this whole handbag obsession. I have spent, I had spent up to $6,000 on a handbag. Mm. That's crazy. And, you know, especially given the fact that I could have been putting that money to, in addition to what I had saved, that I could have been investing more of that money, you know. And to me, it was like, yeah, I deserve this. You know, I'm young. It's that whole, I'm young. I got money now. I can do what I want. And you, you think you have all this time. And <laughs> I just feel like, I had to make those mistakes because I got to the point where I would look in my closet and I would see all these expensive handbags and I would just see dollar bills like stacked up in my closet because I'm one of those people that feels like it's okay to own nice things. You can have expensive things, but Mm -hmm. they have to be worth it. They Mm -hmm. have to be worth it from a cost per work perspective, right? Right. Because you can buy one $3,000 bag and use it for five years right? Mm-hmm. It makes more sense to do that than to buy a, a bag for 200 or $300 every single month for right. five years. Right. So if you're going to use it, great. And if it makes sense and it's not putting you in debt and it's not at the expense of your financial goals, do whatever you want with your money. But I was not using these bags. They were sitting down there. I have sitting down there in my closet. I had so many of them. I'm like, this makes zero. This is so dumb. I could be investing this money. And I don't know about you, but with me and handbags, it's kind of like, and I'm still a handbag girl. I don't have nearly as many, actually, not nearly. But, you know, you start, you're like, oh, my God, it's like a limited edition. You can't find this hardware. You can't find this leather anymore. Oh, my God, this combination only comes out every 10 years. Oh, my God. It's like all kinds of nonsense excuses you give yourself in your mind. Yep. And I went back and forth, and my husband would get so annoyed. We were dating at the time. And he's like, listen, these bags are hideous anyway. (laughs) 
that sounds like so that offended. sounds like a guy. But eventually, I sold them. Luckily for me, because of all the crazy handbag price increases that go on in the designer market, I was able to sell most of them for more than what I paid. Oh wow! And at that time that I did that, I had a lot more sense in my head, and so I took all that money and I put it into my investment accounts. And so that's a big mistake yes. because I lost the opportunity. One example I like to use is Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know, if I had invested um, the cost of one handbag, I think back when I had bought it, I think it was like maybe a $3,000 handbag. Today, I would have over 30 something thousand dollars of Amazon stock. Right, right. You know? Yeah. So imagine if I had 10 $3,000 handbags, that's $30,000. Um, that could have been worth times 10 mm-hmm. for me today. <laughs> Oh, yeah. (laughs) The lost time, the lost opportunity, you know, that's the cost I paid. But again, a valuable lesson. Yes. And, you know, I think for me and a lot of what I – when I have really – and this is, you know, again, this is years and years and years of me working through this stuff. But when I – really got – and I think I honestly had this revelation in the last year of like, mm-hmm. why did I do that stuff? And it, and for a long time, I kind of brushed it off with being like young and naive and whatever. Um, for me, I, I think about – so, you know, again, a, this is a small part of my story, but my mom passed away when I was a senior in high school. And mm-hmm. I'd had a lot of stuff kind of just happen up until my, you know, senior year of college and just – I was in kind of a dark place and um, both of my parents, I was raised in a home where both my parents were recovering alcoholics. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they were, they were sober. um, That's how they met. But I was surrounded by recovering alcoholics (laughs) because my parents, friends and everything like that. And so when I really wanted to start coping, a lot of kids, especially when they turned 21, they turned to things like drugs and alcohol to help them or to, Mm -hmm. to cope. For me, I was so afraid of those things that I turned to shopping. (laughs) So, I mean, honestly, I mean, when I really think about it at the end of the day, like for me, shopping was what I think drinking and and drugs can be for some people. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, there's lots of different things that people can, you know, turn to 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 quote unquote cope with something. And I'm not give this is not an excuse. I'm just saying this is. For me at the end of the day, and like I said, this was a revelation I think I had in the last year, was that shopping and spending money was that quick release of endorphins that -hmm. you get from buying something new that just temporarily, it's a temporary fix because it's something new and exciting. You wear the new shirt once, you wear the new shoes once, and then it's over and they're no longer new and then you need something else new. And it Mm -hmm. becomes this vicious cycle. Um, And so I just, you know, but I think that that's one of those things that, again, I don't think people talk about as a, you know, you sometimes hear about these shopping addicts and stuff like this, but I don't think it's nearly as um, discussed or addressed or openly admitted as people, you know, as as I think it is a reality for a lot of people. Do you kind of see, just working in the field that you do, do you kind of see that same thing? Yes. And even not working in the field, um, you know, just... Before I even got into Clever Girl Finance, you know, I had, I bought handbags because I love handbags. Mm-hmm. And I was also at the point where I felt like I was making all this money. I was, I had saved all this money and nobody could tell me no. Right. Um, you know, because my mom would be like, well, uh, that looks like an expensive handbag. And I'm like, well, well, I have $150,000 in savings. Look at my bank account, you know, and that was a justification. And it was, mm-hmm. nobody could tell me no. And I wasn't in this space where like, yeah, but it's, for so many people, it's shopping is almost like hiding behind something mm-hmm. and it's it's using it as a way to buffer whatever else might be going on in your life. And you sometimes it's not always immediately apparent what it is that you're hiding from, even if it's yeah. just, you know, to other people, but to even the individual themselves. And I think it's just a way to not have to deal with whatever the situation might be. Yep. And it's in a sense, a way of not taking full responsibility of what you need to do. And also, it's not truly being convinced and convicted about what it is that you want to accomplish in your life. Because I'll tell you that 
now that I have kids, now that I'm much older, because this was my this was me 10, 12 years ago in my designer handbag world. Um, there's no way I'm going to be buying a handbag every two months, every three months that costs six thousand dollars because I have so many other goals that are more important than yep. these handbags. And there are so many people that want to look like they can afford something. There is I, there. I can't tell you how many dinners I've been to where I will be sitting with a girl that has a really expensive bag and these bags are really expensive right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot my wallet. Can you just pay for my dinner? Oh my God, can you just loan me twenty dollars to catch a cab? I'll pay it back. But you're carrying a bag that's worth a year of rent. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it, it's there's definitely especially for and again, there's nothing wrong with owning expensive things, nice cars, nice bags, whatever you want to do with your money, as long as it's not at the expense of your goals, and as long as you know how to delay gratification. Yeah. You have to make it like it has to be you have to have accomplished something to deserve whatever it is you're trying to purchase. And you know when you don't deserve something, but you get it anyway because you tell yourself that you think you do. But there's definitely layers to it. There's lots of layers. And I think, again, it comes down to your why. And it comes down to believing in yourself and changing your mindset by the way you look at things and not trying to keep up with the Joneses and the Instardashians and mm. whoever else is on social media. <laughs> the Instardashians. I love that. That is the best. <laughs> you know. And yes. Yeah, there's a lot of depth to it, but it's you have to be able to stand your ground and you also have to be content with what you have and where you are in your own journey. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, it's, I, I, I'm trying to think of words to really describe <laughs> where you need to be. But yeah, you have to be in, you, you have to be in the space where you know what it is you're going after. And once you get there, it's like what Dave Ramsey says, live your life now like no one else will so that in future you can live your life like no one else can. Yeah, exactly. You know, and as time progresses, as you get older, you start to accomplish your goals, you realize that the things that you thought you cared about, you really don't care about them. Mm-hmm. They're not that important to you. Oh, like to me, handbags are not that important. I can go buy a couple right now, but they're just not that important. I'd rather do something else with my money. I'd rather help people. I'd rather put it in my business. I'd rather invest it for my children. You know, I'd rather give back to um, a community. There's just the things that you think matter now, it's always the things that are out of reach to you that you think you think matter so much. And when you get to the point where they're now in your reach and you can actually have them without debt and clean and clear, they don't matter as much. Mm, yes. Oh, yes. Um, you know, one of the things that I, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on the show too is, you know, especially having this be a show about running a business with purpose is, um, you know, one of the things that I think stands out so much about you as well is I know you're a believer and I know that you faith really fills your life. And, and, you know, that's something that is really important to me too. And honestly, for me, it wasn't until I realized that the money that I, every dollar that ever comes into my life was never mine to begin with. It was, mm-hmm. And and when I really learned to accept that and learn that and not only I, I, I don't want to so, say accept that in a say that it sounds bad, but just when I really learned that and I took it to heart that like none of this is mine, <laughs> like God mm-hmm. can take it away at any moment. Yep. <laughs> and so but he is it's a gift and it's a blessing that's been given to me and to yeah. be a good steward of that and that. The more generous you are, the more blessings God's going to give you because he wants to bless generous people. And that's not a prosperity gospel thing. That's just a, you know, and, and I don't just mean financial blessings. I mean, relation, relational blessings and spiritual blessings and just personal growth blessings and all those types of things. And I don't want to sound too, and you know, if you're listening and you're not a Christian, I don't want to sound too like Christianese or like make you think that I'm talking about Christianese. I don't want to make, I don't want you know you to think that I'm just like spitting a bunch of like crazy talk here. Like I really mean this in a very heartfelt way way is just that, you know, when we learn and when we really take to heart that money can be used, money is not the enemy. (laughs) Money is not the enemy. It's, you know, there's, there's another enemy out there, but money is not the enemy at the end of the day. But if we learn how to be a good steward of that, of that money and those blessings and, and if you are able to be be generous and be be a giver and be a good steward of taking care of your family and planning for the future and all those things, 
it's yeah, like you said earlier, like it's not bad to have a nice car or a nice handbag. Like I think sometimes in our culture, there's almost this flip side of like there's this kind of weird. I don't even know what like this tightrope walk. I feel like people do is evil. Being being wealthy is evil. Yes. You have to be. You have to have sold a part of your soul to have all this. Right. Because- like businesses are bad and people who are rich are bad. But then at the same time, like everybody who's broke is trying to chase yeah. the money. And so I'm like, wait a second. Do you want to be broke? Because there's almost this like coolness in being broke of people being like, oh, gosh, I'm so broke. And then they'll just talk about like, I, I can't. Oh, gosh, I spent so much money. I don't have any money. I mean, really, like, I hear these conversations. It's like people are almost trying to glorify being broke, like this poverty mentality. And but then at the same time, like and then they talk about they talk negatively about people who are, you know, have mm-hmm. money like they'll, they'll you know say negative things about Warren Buffett or say whatever you want about Warren Buffett. The guy's smart with money and he's also generous. Like <laughs> he's giving away all of his money. Right. When he passes away. He's giving away so much of his money to date. Right. I, same with the Gateses. You know, this is what I tell people that I coach my clients and I try to project project through clever girl finance is that you have to detach emotion from money Mm -hmm. you know because like any other tool in your life money is a tool it's like a knife in your kitchen yes you can take that knife and you can cut up your dinner really nice to cook it or you can cut off your arm and have to go to the (laughs) er and have no arm it's a tool it is a tool and human beings we just attach so much emotion to this tool because this tool then becomes a status thing Mm -hmm. and that's fine you know yes money is money is tied to status because when you have money you're rich when you don't have money you're not and Mm -hmm. but you have to be objective when you look at your finances you have to be objective when you deal with money you have to be objective and you have to take your heart out of the matter because that's the only way you can succeed with it if you allow your emotions to to cloud your the way you deal with money that's how a lot of people stay in debt it's the i deserve mentality it's the well you know i can always pay this back mentality it's the well if beyonce has it i can have it too because mm-hmm. we shop at the same store and she's wearing a zara dress and i can buy it from zara too like it's it's that whole because i can because i deserve it like you can't approach your finances that way it can't you have to look at it objectively what are your goals what are you trying to accomplish by when do you need to get there and the whole idea of money is evil it's not the money that's evil it's the people who choose to use the tool for evil just like the mm-hmm. you know the knife analogy i just gave you it's it's you can you can pick some pretty flowers and put them in a vase to beautify your home or you can pick those same pretty fla- flowers and use them to make a poison that can kill people mm. so you have to be objective about the tool and i i 100% agree with what you said about being a, a good steward of your money and um, the fact that it can leave you anytime. And I'll tell you that God did not put any of us on this earth to be broke. You know, right. one of the big teachings is around helping other people and giving to other people. Yes. And the only way you can do that is if you have money and if you are a good steward of your finances. And when you look at all the big successful, you know, businesses with people who have good intention in the world, they all started every business, even your business, my business started with the intent to help other people. Yes. And when you have that intent to help and you have that intent to give, the money comes naturally. It is a it's a you know, it's it accompanies your good intention. And again, not to get all frou frou. <laughs> no, no, I love it. I love the frou frou. You know, it's <laughs> it's all about when people talk about the law of attraction or, you know, be careful of the words that come out of your mouth. It's not because saying something negative, just saying something negative is going to ruin your life. It's because when you say something negative, you think that negativity, neg- negativity, you dwell on that negative negativity. When you wake up in the morning, you're, you're feeling negative, your outlook is negative, And it all started from you saying whatever it is you said out of your mouth. And it's all about thinking positive, being positive, understanding that you can do this you can achieve this despite the roadblocks you can get past this you're going to help people you're going to give to people and just being objective about what it is you're here to do who it is you're here to help why it is you want to help as opposed to getting getting caught up in the whole oh money's evil rich people are bad you know like sometimes it's really frustrating to see that (laughs) and to hear that but 
when you think about yourself, again, what is your why? And how do you want to get there? And you have to you have to be a generous person. You have to be a giving person. You have to be someone who wants to help because those people, they end up being better people for themselves. Do you ever want to hang out, hang out with a stingy person? <laughs> Do you ever want to hang out with a greedy person? You don't want right. that. <laughs> so, oh, completely. Yeah. Completely, yes. And I, I guess I would love to also just kind of hear for you and from you, you know, when you set off, you know, after your twins were born and you created Clever Girl Finance, one of the things that you said is just that you really had this desire to do something that was larger than yourself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And you wanted to really focus on helping people and and living a life of purpose like you this was something that you were passionate about you couldn't get it out of your your head so just you know today if you could just kind of share with us quickly just kind of about how does that how does your faith and how does that purpose driven life really fuel you and your business and how you interact with your clients like you know what it what for you is is what really wakes you up every day it's being able to help people. It's being able to get the emails that someone says, Bola, this advice you gave me changed my life. It's being able to allow what I know to be of benefit to someone else. That's the most important thing for me. And it, that is the most fulfilling thing for me, knowing that I'm able to help someone change their life. There's yeah. nothing that can replace that. Yeah. Um, nothing can replace that feeling. And that's what drives me knowing that the more people I can reach, the more people I can help, the more people that can tell other people, you know, about this thing of, because when I help one person, that person can help somebody else and that somebody else can help somebody else. And it's almost like paying it forward because I learned all this stuff and I feel like it would be so selfish for me to, to keep it all in. I came out of college and despite making money mistakes, I saved over a hundred thousand dollars in three years. And I wasn't extraordinary. I was very average. I was making $40,000 a year when I first started, um, you know, after taxes. And there's so many people out there who believe that you have to be making six figures or a million dollars to be able to save money. And that's not the case. And right. it's so my passion comes from being able to help and being able to share my story that can help somebody in one way or the other and being able to educate and empower women. Like it's, it's all for me, it's knowing that if women, if more women just have faith in themselves, if they just are able to identify their why, if they're able to adjust their mindsets and know that they can and have the knowledge to help them make better choices, we would be so much stronger. Mm -hmm. We can do so much more and we will not be in this space where we're caught up in shame, you know, or embarrassed about situations that we feel that we can't change when we know that, you know, when those situations can be changed. Mm, Bola. That is so good. There's so much good goodness there. Um, and I think, I mean, I could honestly, like I, there's probably 15 million more questions that I did not get to. <laughs> but I think that is such a great note to just end on. And just, um, I just can't thank you enough for all that you do. And like I said, I love following you. I just, every time a new post comes to my feed, I'm just like, oh, what, what's Bola posting today? So um, thank you for all you're doing. And um uh, for everybody listening, I will be sure to have all of Bola's links of where you can connect with her, find out more about her and her services and her podcast and all of that in the show notes. Um, but definitely, like I said, go follow her on Instagram. She's at Clever Girl Finance. You do some um, Instagram live videos as well. You're just you're awesome. Yeah. Um, so Bola, thank you so much. And thank you so much for um, for listening to that, that call and that desire to to just to do to do more and to to open up the door for conversation for so many women that they probably were afraid to have before and the lives that you're impacting and the generate I mean this is the kind of thing that impacts generations because yes. you when you change like just the way your mom and your dad influenced you and how you are living your life that you will do the same for your kids and their kids and their kids and so you know these are the types of things that are really impacting um, generations and, and, and having building strong legacies. So thank you so much for all you're doing. Thank you so much, Molly. It's been an honor and a pleasure. I truly appreciate you and I enjoy talking to you. How incredible is Bola's story? I mean, the fact that she was able to save $100,000 on her own is so inspiring to me. And the more I get to know her, the more I want to just 
aggressively tackle my own finances and continue to save and save and save because she really has inspired me and so many other women to really take control of their finances. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are quite literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you for your support week in and week out. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Overcast, Radio Public, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you are subscribed. Clicking that subscribe button makes sure that you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. And if you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag Business with Purpose podcast, or you can tag me at Still Being Molly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Also, guys, I have a favor. I have officially registered for the Dressember campaign. I am pledging to wear a dress every day during the month of December, and I'm raising awareness and money for the International Justice Mission and A21 to help end human trafficking. Now, I have set a personal goal of raising $6,300. That's $6,300, and I cannot do it alone. That money is going to go directly to a rescue operation for somebody caught in human trafficking. So I would love if you would donate to my campaign. You can go to stillbeingmolly.com slash dressember. That's stillbeingmolly.com slash dressember, D-R-E-S-S-E-M-B-E-R. And if you would just donate a dollar, if everybody listening to this show donated a dollar, we would far surpass our goal. So I would be so appreciative if you would partner along with me. Also, to make it interesting, if we hit the goal of $6,300 by December 1st, I will also wear a dress to the gym when I work out every day at Burn Boot Camp. Yes, I will do burpees in a dress, so you know you want to see that. Thank you again to this week's sponsor of the show, Globin. Don't forget to go to globin.com slash box and use the code MOLLY for $10 off your premium subscription artisan box. As always, this show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening, and now go do something good with purpose, on purpose.